And we're in week five of our flawed series. Um, I thought about doing either a Mother's Day message or a, a sermon on Peter. And since we were right in the middle of the series, uh, and Pastor Ryan asked me to step in, I knew specifically what story I wanted to go with. And this is the, the message of, of when Peter walks on the water with Jesus. How many know the story about Peter walking on water? Well, Matthew, Mark, and John all give the same account of Jesus walking on water, but only Matthew gives specific details of where Peter walked on water with Jesus. And that was interesting to me, and I kind of wanted to know why. And so without uh, understanding the Gospels, it's hard to understand why Matthew would give this detail. So let's, let's kind of go through really quick a, a brief overview of these four Gospels. Matthew was the first book of the New Testament, and if you look at all four Gospels, Matthew is more detailed in his description of all the accounts, and it was because it was written distinctively to a Jewish audience. This is coming right out of the Old Testament and uh, under the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, and he wanted to give them undeniable evidence that Jesus was the Messiah in efforts to convert them over to Christianity. Now, Mark is written more like a sermon. Um, it serves as a motivational call that appeals to the common Greeks of that era. And it's not as concerned with the details, but rather it centers on a call to action and ultimately ends asking believers, hey, what are you going to do with what you now know? Are you actually going to put feet to your faith? Are you going to make something happen and, and go and be a Christian, not just understand what it means to be a Christian? Now, Luke is a more sophisticated account of the life of Jesus, and it was intended to appeal to more of the educated Greeks that were kind of a whole generation removed from the life and the ministry of Jesus. Um, And they weren't really interested in the mythical stories, but they wanted more conclusive argument uh, to support the validity of the historical figure of Jesus Christ. Uh, They wanted uh, proof that he existed. Um, And so... Finally, John's gospel. We get to the fourth one, and it's wholly different in many ways. Um, It's not really presented to convert people to Christianity. Rather, um, it's meant to encourage devoted, committed Christians um, in the church that John founded and led. And um, these Christians struggled really with the the um, all the stuff that was going on, is like the uh, persecution, the challenges of faith. Um, martyrs and everything that was going on. And it was hard for them to understand why all the bad was happening. Um, so John writes this as encouragement to the believers in the validity of their decision to follow Christ and to kind of keep with it and to stay in the game. So understanding kind of the form of those four Gospels, it made more sense when we look at Matthew as a more detail-oriented person. He gives more description of kind of what happens in those moments. So, to set this up to understand why Peter and Jesus are kind of out in the middle of the ocean, we need to understand kind of how they got there. So, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 today. Um, if, uh, if you have a Bible, you can grab it, open it, turn it on, follow on the app, follow an outline or on the screen. Um, but to set this up, uh, Herod um, Antipas was the son or the, or the heir of Herod the Great. And he was kind of after John the Baptist because he didn't like the, the Christianity message being out there. And so 
he didn't want him to continue with his message and, and converting people to Christianity, but he was afraid to kill him. So what he did was he had him arrested and put in prison. Well, while he was in prison, um, John the Baptist, um, you know, found out some things. He, he called Herod out on his lifestyle. He was actually sleeping with his brother's wife, and um, John Baptist called him out on it. And then um, on Herod's birthday, they had this great big celebration. Um, that, that woman's daughter actually ended up going out and dancing and seducing the king so much so that he said, no matter what you want, I'll give it to you. And so she's like, okay. Well, the mother influenced her daughter to call for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. And in, in afraid of backlash, if he didn't follow through on his oath, he went ahead, beheaded John the Baptist, gave the head to her on a silver platter. So that's why John the Baptist was beheaded. The disciples actually ended up getting the body of John the Baptist, and they ended up burying that. And then Herod spoke of Jesus and his ministry as a reincarnation of John the Baptist, and was afraid of Jesus too. So before they could arrest Jesus, they were like, we're out. So Jesus, the disciples, they started to go across the sea, Crossed the waters to an isolated place to kind of take up camp. Some people found out about it, and then a huge crowd found out about it, and they followed Jesus because they, they wanted more of what he had. And when they finally get over the waters, the disciples turn to Christ and they're like, hey, you know, I don't know where all these people come from, but we don't have any food, so we need to send them back home and go back so they can get something to eat. And Jesus is like, no, I got this. They're like, with what? He's like, we got a couple of fish and some bread. And Jesus is like, I got this. So he blesses it, feeds over 5,000 people. They ended up having leftovers. And then after performing this miracle, in verse 22 is kind of where we pick up. So we're going to start Matthew chapter 14, reading in verse 22. It says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat ahead of him to go to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Now around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. Now the first thing that came to me when I started to prepare this message and I was reading through these these, uh, scriptures, the first thing was that Jesus knew their situation and he came to them in their time of need. He sent them on ahead. And he was praying, but he also recognized when his disciples were in distress. Now, they didn't have beacons. They didn't have the lighthouse. And they didn't have, like, the, the, the lights that we have on boats nowadays that you can see for miles and miles and miles. They may have had a lantern. But it would have been rough to see a little boat with a couple people on it out in the middle of the dark. Jesus still knew where to find them. He still knew where to find them, even when they thought that they were unreachable and they, they were too far out to be saved. They feared they would drown in their current situation, and it must have been a hopeless feeling. And I'm betting there's some hopeless people here today. Has anybody ever felt hopeless? I know I have. Drowning in a sea of your, of your chaos and uncertain situations in the middle of darkness, and you just think there's no hope. Well, Jesus saw them, and I'm here to tell you today that Jesus sees you right where you are. In the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your confusion, in the, in, the, in the dark, where you think you're too far out to be saved, Jesus sees you where you are. He sees you and he cares about you. 
Now, we're going to pick up in verse 26, and it says, When the disciples saw him walking in the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. Now, this word terrified isn't just like being scared. I know some of y'all got scared at communion time when the thunder hit. It happened in all three services, so don't feel like you, you were the only ones. I didn't do that on purpose, but it works well for the sermon. Scared. There's a difference between being scared and being terrified. Has anybody ever been scared before, right? Now, my wife, she doesn't like to be scared, but I like to scare my wife. I don't know. It's just something about it. I love seeing her face, and, and it's usually the, the, the makeup afterwards. Anyway. So I'll take every chance I can to, to, to hide in a corner. I'll wait on the stairs, or I'll hide in the dark or in a closet, or I'll be like, she want, you want to go into the store with me? No, I'm going to sit in the truck. Five minutes later, I'm going to walk in, and I'm going to come up behind her and scare her. And she does this thing. She does this thing that once you, once you scare her, she kind of runs in place. Ah! And it's like karate, kung fu. She doesn't know if she wants to hit. And like she, her feet are running a mile a minute, but she's not going nowhere. And so she gets into this mode. <laughs> she's back there making a fist. I'll pay for this later probably. But I like to scare my wife. Now, I don't think this was the kind of scare because the scare almost immediately goes away. It's like, oh, you scared me, but I'm okay now. No, this says they were terrified. And if we look at terrified in the other synonyms that go with this, it's frightened, afraid, or paralyzed with fear. Now, I believe that when you get paralyzed by fear, you, you have this, this moment of like, man, I'm going to die. And I think that's where they were at. They were paralyzed with fear. And then on top of it, they said, it's a ghost. They saw something out in the water. They were afraid of what they could not see, and they cried out in fear. Now, if you understand the term ghost, it's it's a spirit or an apparition. And understanding Greek mythology back then, well, it's not really changed much. Fishing folklore, you get all the stories of 50-pound Fred and old man, what's his name's farm, out in the pond, right? You got any fishing stories? You know, I caught a fish this big. Yeah, that's a big, tall tail. So all these fishing stories of seeing sea monsters and sea people, mermaids and the Leviathan and, and, and different things, ghosts or apparitions, it wasn't uncommon to have fishing folklore to say there's, that they saw something and that they saw something and they just didn't know what it was and they were fearful of what they could not see. So a lot of times we get in those situations where we get afraid of what we can't see. We start to fear and question the unknown, the uncertainty, the danger that kind of lurks around the corners. You know, my wife likes to make me wear a helmet when I ride the bike because of the unseen dangers, the danger that lurks around the curves, right? But it's anticipation of something we don't understand that could harm us. So sometimes, because of those fears, we stay complacent. We stay complacent and we stay comfortable even in the midst of our mess. We stay because that's what we know. Has anybody ever got comfortable in a mess? I have, and it's not fun. But in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 27, something else happened. Jesus spoke. It says, immediately Jesus spoke to them. Have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, if you look at the word courage, 
The definition of courage means mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. And Jesus was asking them to have courage. Withstand this. Persevere in the midst of this fear. No matter what's going on, believe in me, even in the middle of the storms. How many remember the the no fear uh, t-shirts and graphics? I used to love those things. But to be honest, every single person has some type of fear. What are you afraid of? Anybody? You're afraid of driving? Okay. Anybody else? Snakes? Spiders? Mice? The Kool-Aid man? (laughs) Anybody remember that? Don't tell him I said that. Oh, this is being recorded, isn't it? Anyway, we're all afraid of something, but here's what I think. We're not actually afraid of the thing we think we're afraid of. We're afraid of the result of the unknown. Now, we're not afraid of the spider. We're afraid of the spider bite that leads to death. We're not afraid of the snake. We're afraid of the snake's going to strangle us to death. We're not afraid of heights. We're afraid of what's at the end of the fall. Am I right? It all stems from the fear of death. And I think the the disciples in this moment, they were so afraid, they were afraid they were going to die. But when Jesus spoke, they said, Oh, I know that voice. The voice was familiar. So familiar that they could recognize in the midst of a storm. Now, can we say that we know the voice of God? If you're in a relationship of any sorts, husband, wife, parent, child, friend, a friend, no matter the relationship, you have to have communication. Communication is key, right? You go... Uh, five, six, seven uh, days a week without talking to that person and your relationship becomes strained, right? You go a week without talking to your wife and you see what happens. <laughs> She'll talk to you eventually. <laughs> and she's going to let it all out at the same time. We have to have communication. There's an old saying that says seven days without prayer makes one week. Yes, I know it's a pun. I had to throw at least one in. But it's true. It makes one week. When we spend an entire week not talking to Jesus, not talking to our Savior, not praying, not reading his word, not getting to know the one who made and created us, it makes us weak. It gives us more opportunities to be fed by other lies and other doubts and other fears. But it it takes us a little bit deeper than that. You see, a weak faith is wishing for signs and miracles. We're always looking for something, and because taking Christ at his word would demonstrate a higher level of faith, and it would exercise sound reasoning, not neither one which are easy to do. Now, Peter had weak or little faith, and Jesus already knew that, but I think um, he did something amazing here in verse 28. And I want to show you this. So pick it up in verse 28. It says, Lord... Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Right? 29, he says, come. 
And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Now, there are a few things here. The first is Peter asked for a sign. Now, remember we said a weak faith is always looking for signs of miracles. But Peter asked for a sign. Lord, if it's really, 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 really you. How many ever done that? Lord, if it's truly you, I don't know if I really need to take this step. I don't know if I need to do this. I don't need to buy this. Whatever it is, if it's really you, I need you to show me a sign. Has anybody ever asked for a sign? Anybody remember Bill Ingvall? I love Bill Ingvall. He's one of my favorite comedians. And he used to do this bit called Here's Your Sign. And one of my favorites was he was sitting on the side of a road with a flat tire. And some guy pulls up next to him, rolls his window down and says, Your tire go flat? He said, Nope. I was driving down the road and the other three swelled right up on me. Here's your sign. It's one of those things, I think, that this was what Peter was experiencing. Jesus was like, okay, here's your sign, Peter, because he gave it to him. When Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, I need a sign, Jesus said, come. And because Peter recognized his voice, he took the step of faith. He stepped out of the boat. He said, if it's really you, I'll do it. And Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, gave him the sign that he was looking for. Now, another thing that really struck me in this story was that when Peter took a step of faith, he got out of the boat. Jesus didn't calm the sea before he asked Peter to step out. Could he have? Absolutely. He could have calmed the sea, stopped the waves, stopped the wind, and Peter could have stepped out on what would look like glass. But he didn't do that. He asked Peter to step out in the midst of the storm. Because if we wait until everything is perfectly fine, everything is perfectly clear, we have no faith. What would be the reason to trust God? And I think Jesus was asking Peter, are you going to trust me and really do what you said you were going to do? Even in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of uncertainty. And so... I started thinking about those times in my life where I bargain with God or I ask God for a sign. You know, have you ever put yourself in that position because Peter put himself in that position? Jesus didn't ask Peter to come out on the water. Peter invited himself out if it was really God. He said, if it's you, I'll come. I'll do it. Have you ever done that? You ever put yourself in that position? Lord, if you just get me out of this speeding ticket, I promise I'll be a missionary in Africa. No, you won't. You can't stand 100% humidity at 80 degrees, much less a, a five-pound mosquito in Africa. But it's like we, we make deals with God when we, we really don't have any intentions of following through. But Peter did. And he was one of the only ones that was willing to do so. He took a step of faith and he stepped out of the boat. So let's look at this. In verse 30. As soon as Peter stepped out of the boat, when he saw the strength and the wind, he was afraid. And he was beginning to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, this, this here is pivotal. I don't want you to miss this, okay? Peter stepped out of the boat. He was walking on water. But he took his eyes off of Jesus and started focusing on the situation rather than the Savior. Here he was, walking on water with Jesus of all people, and he got distracted. 
he started listening to the noise around him and he started looking and saying, whoa, maybe this is a whole lot bigger than me. And the doubt set in and then the fear took hold and then he completely looked away. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he started to sink. Now the Bible says he began to sink. It doesn't say he sank. So I don't think Peter ever was overtaken. Verse 31. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. You see, the wind and the waves aren't what overtook Peter. It was his doubt and when he took his eyes off of Christ. We talk about little faith. And is it in Matthew chapter 13, has everybody heard of the parable of the mustard seed? I've heard it said that if you just have faith as small as a mustard seed, but that's not the case. When Jesus was talking about little faith or small faith, he's always talking about it in a negative sense. Faith was never meant to stay small. When he was given the parable of the mustard seed, he was comparing about how the mustard seed starts off as one of the tiniest little things, but takes root and develops and becomes a strong tree so much it grows over time And it becomes deeply rooted. The parable of the mustard seed is to demonstrate how we should take our faith and expound on it. And through our relationship with Christ and through our connection and our communication, as long as we keep our eyes on Christ, that faith takes root and it starts to develop. A strong faith that just had enabled Peter to step out of the boat suddenly shrank so tiny and it turned into fear, causing him to sink. Because he let his surroundings affect him. Now, I've always said this, and I've taught this to students for years. Fear is faith in reverse. Get that. Fear is faith in reverse. For every step in faith you take, fear will take two steps back. Fear will take away everything that faith wants to give you. It will rob you. Don't let fear rob you. Step out in faith. Now, most people will use this story to point out Peter's lack of faith. Another flaw, right? Because we're in the flawed series. But Peter was the only one willing to step out of that boat. There were more disciples in that boat. And if, if everybody had faith and it was truly Jesus and Jesus said, come, why didn't everybody jump out of the boat? Why didn't everybody just go overboard and start running and walking on water together? I don't know. But I know Peter did. So in my book, this was almost immediate win. It took a step of faith to get out of the boat, but it took more steps of faith to walk on water. And what if when Peter took that step out of the boat and then another step, and then he finally let go and took another step, and then he was like, oh, wait a minute, the safety net's gone. It's like, I can't grab the boat anymore. I can't go forward. I can't go back. So now I'm stuck. Starts focusing on the situation, took his eyes off Jesus and started to sink. Sometimes I think we do that. Sometimes I think we want to look back at the safety that was our mess. And we're like, well, at least I was not in the ocean. I may have been going through a storm, but at least I had some sort of protection. So we'll start to look back at the mess, right? I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to take a step? Of faith 
or are you afraid of failure? Are you willing to take a step of faith or are you afraid of failure? Like Pastor Ryan said last week, just because you fell doesn't mean you failed. And Peter fell, but it doesn't mean he failed. Because I don't honestly think the test was whether or not Peter could actually walk on water. I think the test was whether or not Peter would get out of the boat. Because that's what he asked for and that's what Jesus said to do. And when he obeyed, I think this was an immediate win. If we go back up to verse 31 where it says, You have little faith, why did you doubt? This really struck me. And just for a moment, if you understood, have you ever gotten into a situation where your parent was not just angry at something that you did? They told you, I'm not really angry, I'm disappointed. You ever been in that position? Has anybody ever tell you that they're disappointed in you? Sometimes it's like, that's worse than the failure. I'd rather just be mad and beat my tail, you know, but the disappointment. And I think that, I don't think Jesus reprimanded Peter here. I honestly think it was a somber response of, why, why did you doubt? Peter, why did you doubt me, man? You were just walking on water. All you had to do was keep your eyes on me. But you had little faith because you started focusing on the things around you. The last thing I want to leave you with is this. Jesus used Peter's flaw to reach other flawed people. This is really what it's all about. Let's look at verse 33. It says, Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Through Peter's failure. You see, Peter ended up waist deep in fear. But because of Jesus' grace and his mercy, as he reached out and saved Peter and pulled him back into the boat, other people's faith was boosted. They saw the Savior in action. And they worshipped him. Now, some scholars believe that they had a sailor and a crew that was on the boat with the disciples. Um, There's an argument either way. But one thing I I wanted to point out, and this is kind of thought-provoking, was what if when they pulled, Jesus put Peter back in the boat? This is merely theory here, okay? What if Peter was still dealing with the doubt and the shame And he was feeling like a failure. He was kind of cowarding on the bow of the boat. And the rest of the people who saw what Jesus had done were saying, truly you are the Son of God. Because this is in Matthew chapter 14. Now in Matthew chapter 16, Pastor Ryan preached on this a few weeks ago about how Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say I am, right? And they were like, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, whatever. And then uh, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And he points Peter out and he says, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? You know, maybe, maybe Peter was still working out his flaws. And it took a little while to get to that point in the realization that Jesus was who he said he was. And he finally admitted it. He said, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And he said, truly, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Now, this is just theory. I don't know if it's real, and I don't, I don't, this is not doctrine or theology, but it's thought-provoking is that sometimes I think we get too caught up on our own doubts, our own fears, our own shame, and our failures, 
that we fail to admit and confess that Jesus is Lord in our lives. We start to coward back and then we let that fear hold us back from proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord in our situation. We start focusing on the wind and the waves and the chaos surrounding us. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. But either way, other people saw what I'm sure Peter thought was a massive failure. God turned it into a miracle. And other people were reached. Other flawed people that were still dealing with the things. I mean, these disciples had to have seen Jesus perform other miracles. I mean, heck, this wasn't the first time they were out in the boat. They were in the boat in Capernaum when Jesus was down in the bow. He was down in the belly of the boat. He was, he was asleep, and they were like, do you not even care if we die? And so he comes up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and they said, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? They still didn't admit it then. This was back in chapter 8. Same situation, being tossed around. It was different when they knew Jesus was with them. A whole lot different when they thought Jesus wasn't there. But, just, but he was. He knew exactly where to find them. So I'm going to ask you this question today. Are you going to choose fear or faith? Are you going to choose fear today or faith? Are you going to allow that fear to grab a hold of you? To put you in reverse and steal everything that your faith has built? Are you willing to choose faith and step out and say, God, in the midst of my chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, whether it's a relationship that I don't know how it's going to work out, whether it's a medical diagnosis that the doctor gives me no hope, whether I'm in a financial crisis or a situation that I can't even explain, am I going to step out in faith and say, I need you to meet me where I'm at? I need you to be Lord of my life in this situation because I'm sinking And I need you to save me. I'm telling you, he's here. He is everywhere. He is in the midst of your storm. He sees you. And he's holding out his hand. He said, come with me. Take a step of faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. First and foremost, we we just honor and glorify your name. If we look at the life of Peter, a man that is so messed up and so jacked up that there's no reason he should even be allowed to be a ministry. But it reminds us that you are in the miracle working business. You are a redeemer. And no matter how far we've gone, if we think we're too far out to be saved and we think we're, we're too messed up or we have failed too much, you say, I've got you. And you're willing to hold out your hand and pull us back in got a call in our life you're just asking us to step out if you're here today with heads bowed and eyes closed I just want to ask you are you feeling hopeless do you feel like you're drowning in the midst of chaos in the midst of darkness is there something that is overwhelming you anxiety depression worry fear God sees you God knows where you are. He knows your current situation. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. 
And he put your fingerprints on those hands and he says, I got a call in your life. And I got something that I want you to do that nobody else is going to do. I want you. Are you willing to say, I'm, I need that. I need Jesus. Would you hold your hand up? God sees you. God sees you. I want you to just take a moment and just say this prayer with me. Everybody say it out loud together so we just don't feel out of place. And so just say, Heavenly Father, I need you. I need you in my life. And I receive you today in faith. Come into my life. I surrender to you. And I give you control. Work in my life, Jesus. I surrender to you. Dear Father, I thank you for these people that have made a decision to follow you, God. I pray that they would be bold in their faith to take a step and tell someone about their decision to follow you. I'm sure there's other people here that are struggling with their relationship with you. Maybe they've had a relationship for a while, but maybe they're just not as close to you that they recognize your voice anymore. God, would you continue to draw them in? We have people that are at the back, people that are willing to pray with you. If you want to just fill out a card or just let somebody know that you've made the decision or if you need some prayer today, there are people that are willing to take that time and pray with you one-on-one. Don't leave here until you get it resolved. But just know that this church is a family and we desire to do life with you, to connect with you and walk beside you and see you through these struggles. Don't do life alone. Thank you, Jesus, for this word. God, I pray that it did not fall on deaf ears, God, that the seed would take root into good ground, God, that we would leave here differently than we came. God, would you do something that would allow us to, to acknowledge you, that you are who you say you are, and you will do what you say you will do. Give us opportunities to take those steps of faith. And as we leave this place, be a constant reminder. Just a constant reminder of how you are working in our life to experience your grace and your mercy. May we be hands and feet to this community. May we be a light in the dark world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.